Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning. How are we doing? Welcome to Plainfield Christian Church. My name is Derek Skinner. I'm the high school minister here. It's good to be with you guys. If you're joining us online, I don't know which camera I'm at, but hey, welcome. Uh, Glad to have you as well. Hopefully we get to see you in person here soon. All this to say, we got a lot to cover today, and here's what I want to do. Hi, buddy. Um, Here's what I want to do. I want to start off with a story, and this is one, it's one of those embarrassing stories, all right? I'll go with the low-key one first, and then we'll climb, and I think you'll stay with me on this. Does he ever do anything you kind of regret? Stay with that idea. Um, We'll start here. You know what this is. Does anybody know what I have, what I hold in my hand? Can you guess what this is? It's distance. If you did it, I'd be very impressed. You guys, I would be, come on. Chris, can you, you see what this is? Do you know what that is? This is a playing card. Anybody trade or have, growing up, you collected cards? Anybody do that? Yeah, I know Eric did because this is Eric's, not mine. Um, I loved, but the only, I think the thing I liked most about baseball was going to the concession stand, ripping open a pack, grabbing the, the gum that crumbles as you grab it and kind of wadding it in as you see what you get. And we would trade cards. This card in particular, do you guys know who this is? Shaq, baby. Shaquille O'Neal. And I can remember when Shaq came on the scene in the NBA, it changed everything. Shaq, his rookie season, he was 7'1", 285 pounds. He played inside but ran the, the floor like a guard. And when he would dunk a ball, goals would literally collapse. Matter of fact, that's how he changed the NBA. They had to redesign their basketball goals, number one. Number two, it's required now in all arenas to have a backup goal because of this man. Now, here's the thing. I did not have this rookie card. I wanted it. I didn't have it. My friends did. So I took two of my cards to my buddies. And we decided, we arranged the deal. It was legit, you know, back, back alley. But we arranged the deal. And as soon as I got the card, they started laughing. And all I can think is, why are you laughing? And then they opened up this book. And in this book, this magical book, it told you the worth, the value of the card. And that's where I learned the card that I just received was much, much less than the cards I'd just given away. I felt like I had been duped, ever been there. Now, here's the other one. This one's more embarrassing. One time, I got a text message. And on that text message, it says, your credit card has been compromised. Please call immediately. In a moment of panic, I'm like, oh, geez. Yes, what is it you want? Can you type in the eight digits? Yes, I can type in the eight digits of my credit card. Can you do that again? I know now. (laughs) I hang up the phone immediately. Why? Because I realize I've been duped. And I bet you, maybe you felt this way. Have you ever been to the supermarket? And you walk down the aisle for that ever so delightful bag of family-sized potato chips? You grab it, you purchase it, and of course, you sit on the couch to eat it. And when you do, you open it up, and what's the first thing you experience but disappointment? Because nothing but air comes out of it. And then you feel down, and that maybe halfway through is the chip. And you think, wait a second, I bought this bag, and I have this much. There's a problem. 
Or maybe as you're sitting on the couch, you're watching the television, and you see on the screen an infomercial for a new pill. Yes, a miracle pill. And it starts, the commercial usually starts like this. Do you suffer from? Put in the illness. Do you suffer from? Well, try this drug that takes all of the misfit letters of the alphabet, and we put it into the name. Do you suffer? Try this drug. And then there's a song and dance. Hey, whoa, we're all having a great time because we have this drug. And then they get to the phrase. They get to the phrase, and maybe you've heard it. Side effects may include. And I've listed some. Nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, dry mouth, headaches, numbness, loss of friends, no more happiness, inability to see colors or feel feelings. I don't want to be duped, especially when it comes to drugs, right? Medical, I don't want to be duped. And yet, this is, we've made movies off of this idea. Has anybody seen one of my favorite movies? One of my favorite ones, it's a good one, Fun with Dick and Jane. Ever seen that movie? It is based on Enron. You know what happened with Enron? You remember that? All of a sudden, CEOs, bad bookkeeping, we are just hiding how bad our company's doing and saying we're making millions, and all these people are getting crushed. It's a good movie, go check it. You can see it. They made movies, and you can think history. Do you remember an, a thing called a Trojan horse? The city of Troy, Greece trying to attack. They act like they left, and then they leave this massive horse wooden thing outside the gates, and what do they do? Looks safe. Bring it into the city, and then all of a sudden the city's taken over. I don't want to be duped, and I don't think you do either. And the reason I say all of that is because of this. I have a friend of mine who is wrestling through, wrestling with this idea of Christianity. And he's saying, look, there's all of these different religions out there. How do you know that yours is the one? How do you know that you have it? And it's a valid question, is it not? You see them, you can drive down church row and see, here's a church, here's a church, here's a church, here's a different belief system altogether. How do we know we have the one? C.S. Lewis said this. He put it this way, maybe. Ready? Magic. <laughs> yeah. One of the great difficulties is to keep before the audience's mind, and I think here he's talking about a Christian audience, the audience's mind, the question of truth. They always think you are recommending Christianity not because it's true, but because it's good. You have to keep forcing them back and again back to the real point. One must keep on pointing out that Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderate. It's true. Matter of fact, Paul says, this is 1 Corinthians 15, he says it this way. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, stop right here. This, what he's getting ready to say, was an early, one of the earliest church creeds ever developed within the early church, right? So here it is. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the Twelve. It goes on to say after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. 
What I want you to hear is this. The one leg that Christianity stands, rises and falls on, is did Christ come back to life after being dead? Do not miss that. And Paul, later on in this chapter, if you look at it for yourself, he says, if this did not happen, then everything we're saying here, the forgiveness of your sins, the hope for tomorrow, all of it does not matter. So now we have some questions because I don't want to be duped. You don't want to be duped. And here he's saying there's some big important aspects we have got to land on. We've got to know for ourselves, is it true or not? So with that being said, I have something for you. <laughs> I'll make a good deal on it too. I'm just kidding. Um, you can find this for $19.99 on Amazon, but I'll say it this way. See if you can guess it. This is a game developed in 1979. It took Europe by storm in the 80s. It's a mystery game, two-player, in which and it helps you with your social and reasoning skills. Can you guess what the game is? That's not rhetorical. You can actually try. Well, there you go. Aha! Ta-da! Who wants to buy it? Yeah. Here's the idea. Now, let me, I'll try to flip these. They stick like crazy. Here. Bingo. The idea of the game, can somebody tell me what the objective of this game is? Wow, isn't that amazing? Riveting. Your powers of deduction are so strong. Here's what I'll say. You are trying to confirm the identity I hold in my hand. You're trying to confirm this identity, correct? Trying to figure out who, and how do you go about doing that with this game? You ask questions. Very simple, right? This is, I mean, boom. You guys, that's the end of the sermon. Go home. You'll see it. That's it. You're going to ask questions. Well, we have three questions we want to ask using this method of deductive reasoning. Very simple. Right? Three questions. First question is this. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he God in flesh? John 1, 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among man. Did he really become flesh? We need to, we need to decide that one. Number two, did he really die? And number three, how do you explain an empty tomb? Did he really come back to life? Three questions. Number one, let's start there. Is he the Messiah? Now, you're going to see on your screen a bunch of these. Um, I'm going to say, let's just say them out loud if we want to. Here we go. This is some of the things Jesus did. Now, before we do, think of it this way. Lee Strobel, when he came to faith, he said this was the thing that led him to it. You said God became and took on flesh. In that case, God should be doing things that no other human being can do. Right? It's the reason, if you like, how many of you like superhero movies? I, I like how there's like shame in that. Oh gosh. Ugh, ugh. If you like superhero movies, the reason you can tell they're a superhero is because they're doing things that nobody else around them can do. Right? If God came in flesh, he should be doing things that nobody else could do. Here we go, let's see it. He turned water into wine, healing of the sick. Deaf, mute, blind, paralyzed, bleeding, unclean, untouchable, got it. Casting out demons. Let's see, he caught an enormous amount of fish. I like that one. If you've seen it on The um, Chosen, that's a great one. It's a good episode. Feeds 5,000, then he does 4,000 as well. He walks on water, calms the storm just by speaking to it. He raises Lazarus back to life. We got two of them there, but we're keeping the same. And he lived a perfect life. The people were amazed at his teaching. Now here's the thing. 
If you look at the beginning of what we've covered throughout Mark, Mark chapters 1 through 10, it's really what we just said here. Who is Jesus? And they would say he's the Messiah. Look at what he's doing, unexplained. And it's not just Mark's account. If you look in the New Testament, you have four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and well done. You have Matthew and John, eyewitnesses. They saw it for themselves. Luke grabbed all the eyewitness accounts he could find and wrote his. And then you have Mark, who was a follower of Peter, an eyewitness to Jesus. You have all these accounts who all say these same things. They all seem to be pointing back to say, yes, he is the real deal. Yes, he is the Messiah. Now, the question really comes down is what kind of Messiah is he? There's really two options that they left us with. Some say, will he reign on high? Like, and overthrow the Romans, or Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified and die. See that? Rain on high. That's my Luke. That's the best Luke I've got. <laughs> Rain on high, crucified and die. That's just not doing it for you. Anyways, <laughs> you get the idea, right? What's he going to do? What's this Christ going to be like? Did he really die? All right, so check number one, we got that. Check number two, let's ask this question. Did he really die? And this is where we pick up. Go to Mark 15. 42 through 47. Mark 15, 42, if you have a Bible, this is where you check me. I can put it on the screen. I can put anything I want. But check me, right? Mark 15, 42. Let me read this. The question we're asking is, did Jesus really die? Here we go. It was preparation day. That is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, right? Prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. That's interesting. We're asking, is he dead? Pilate's surprised that he already is. We'll come back to that. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now let's pause here. A couple things we need to know. Why is Pilate surprised? Well, let me tell you, Rome did not invent crucifixion. Rome perfected it. Crucifixion, you can trace it back, some believe, back to the Babylonians, Assyrians. We know the Persians used it systematically, but the Romans perfected it. They knew how people would die and suffer. And on average, a typical crucifixion would last two to three days. Now, this is why you think Pilate's surprised. If you look at Mark's account, Jesus was first nailed to a cross at 9 a.m. Noon, there's darkness, and then at 3 p.m., he cries out his last. Somebody do the math. How long has he been on the cross? Six hours. He didn't last two to three days. It's only six hours. Pilate is surprised. Wait, that seems pretty fast. Now, the Jews weren't necessarily disappointed in the fact of it being this fast. And here's why. It said at the beginning it was preparation day, a day they are preparing for the Sabbath. Now, this is no ordinary Sabbath. This is the Sabbath before Passover. Now, here is one thing you need to know that's not in the text. There is a Jewish law. This is Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 21. This is the law. If somebody guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who's hung on a pole is under God's curse. And last part, this is why. You must, uh, you must not desecrate the land. If he stays on the cross, if the criminals stay on the cross, it desiccates the land, right? They can't. 
This is Passover. You can't do this. So they got to get him down quick. Now, here's the thing. Do some more math. If he died at 3 p.m., the Sabbath starts at 6. He's only got three hours. they got three hours to get him in the ground. We're talking crunch time. So this is John's account. Listen to this. In John 19, verses 31 through 34, look at what they do in light of this. It was the day of preparation. We said that. Next day, special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Now stop. Why break legs? Here's what you don't know about crucifixion that you need to know. When somebody's crucified, they don't die necessarily just from the wounds. They die from asphyxiation and heart attack. In order, when they're pinned, in order for them to breathe, they have to push up and down to inhale and exhale. It doesn't look like that funny, but you get the idea. Eventually, the body, from all the pain and suffering, tires to where they can't lift themselves up to breathe, which means two things. The breathing, the rate, it's small gasp of air, and the heart rate picks up. When the heart rate picks up, I'm not a doctor, I read about this, so I stayed at a Holiday Inn once. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but here's what happens. It says the capillaries begin then to excrete of clear fluid around the heart and lungs. They call this a pericardial effusion or a pleural effusion. So you can see, why did they want to break the legs? So the person would suffocate quickly. But keep going here. They didn't break Jesus' legs, right? The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man as well as the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, bringing what out? Blood and water. Why? Because you can see the stress and duress that Jesus was under. He comes back and tells Pilate, now here's the thing and I want you to hear it. We asked the question, did he really die? This is from James Dunn. New Testament scholar says this, nearly all modern scholars consider the baptism of Jesus and his crucifixion to be historically certain. Check mark number two, did he die? Yes. Now, number three, listen to this one. Okay, let's keep reading. We're in Mark. Um, the question we have here, how do you explain an empty tomb? Let me give you some options. These are the top 10 options that I saw out there. Ready? Stolen body. Did He just fainted, just passed out. Everybody hallucinated it. This is the one I think is, I mean, it's not humorous, but man, talk about a bad day. You know what I'm saying? I got mistaken for Jesus. Oh, oh wait a second. Oh, wait a second. Anyways, copy, maybe they said it's just, it's just made up because other pagan stories contain something like it. Wrong tomb. They, well, we rolled this stone away. Nothing here. Or maybe Jesus had a twin. My last one I like. How about this one? Who knows? You have all these, you have to explain this. How do you explain an empty tomb? Listen to Mark. Mark 15, 46 starts here. So Joseph, he bought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock. In order to afford, you have to be wealthy to have a tomb like this. If you look at John's account, he says Nicodemus was with him, another member of the council. They wrapped his body. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now this is important. Sean McDowell took a Holy Land trip. In that Holy Land trip, he showed them a garden tomb. Not the garden tomb, but something like it. And this boulder we're talking about, he goes, I guess it weighs maybe about 450, 500 pounds. 
On that tour, though, he had two students, engineering students from Georgia Tech. And they said, well, we're going to find out how much this weighs. So they started doing, they started doing their math. Blah, 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 blah. And they figured it out. And they said it should weigh roughly about one to one and a half tons. Good to know. You'll see why. Go about that stolen body theory. Anyways. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. That's important because they're thinking, maybe you got the wrong tomb. He's a pretty prominent member, and now three to four people saw where he was buried. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, why do you think they asked this question? How heavy is that rock? I don't know about you, but I can't do that. So anyways, who's going to roll away the stone? Then they turned. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said, which I think is so funny. What do you expect? I mean, anyways. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now get this. We said, and we can go on, we said this. If you look at your Bible, you're going to see, and I don't see too many people looking at your Bibles right now. Look at your Bible. No, I'm just kidding. If you look at the end of this and the end of Mark, there's more verses there. And most scholars agree that this is not what the original manuscripts had. This was added on later. Why? Because it seems like Mark has left us on the edge. He didn't answer all of our questions. He left this one. How do you answer the empty tomb? He left it open. Where's the evidence? I've seen people die. I've seen people be buried. And all right now I have is there's an empty tomb. I don't know where Jesus is. And you've given me nothing to prove it. Why would he leave it there? Well, here's what I think. Go back one slide, can you? Maybe. Yes, there we go. He's not here, and this one right here, see the place where they laid him. Hang on to that phrase for a second, and here's what I think is the challenge for Mark, is Mark is leaving it up to us to decide. You've heard the story. You said he was the Messiah. You saw that he died, and now there's an empty tomb. Do you have more questions? Do you have more questions? I think that's where he's leaving. He says, you want to know, did he really come back to life? Well, let's ask more questions. Maybe then I'll find out. Why did he include the stone being rolled away? Why do you think that was? Do you think Jesus needed it? We see later on that the disciples have locked themselves in a room, and all of a sudden Jesus appears to them. So he doesn't need a doorway. He can just show up. He doesn't need the, the rock out of the way. Why is the rock rolled away? It's so we can come in. It's so we can see. Why? Because we're going to have questions. And we're going to want answers. And I can tell you this. It's hard to sell something that you aren't sold on. Am I wrong? I could tell you right now. Keith, I see you. I could tell somebody, and you could too, what's the best chicken sandwich in town? Don't say it. They're going to come and ask you later. I could tell you what the best fast food chicken sandwich is. You know why? Because I spent about a month and a half, two months with Keith Reeds going to different fast food places. Our health paid for it. But just to see, 
What's the best chicken sandwich? I had to ask questions to find answers. And when I'm sold, it's easier to sell others. That's why I think the command here was come see. See the place. We need to ask more questions. I think some of that is for us. Mark is saying you need to ask more questions. If you're not convinced, you need to ask more questions, number one. Number two, I think what he's saying is this one. Go and tell. Go and tell. You've come, you've saw, now go tell the disciples. Go tell Peter. Go tell others about what has happened. Go and tell. How do you win the game of guess who? Once you've asked enough questions, how do you win? I hear a lot of whispers. That's not how you win. You proclaim it. you got to say, and this one has Gail. Huh, Gail. I have to say the name. I have to let other people know who are playing with me. I have to let them know who this is. Here's why I say that. I had the opportunity a long time ago to go to Thailand. And in Thailand, they have these Buddhist temples. It's a Buddhist country. And if you look, they have steps going up those temples. On the handrails are lined. As you go up, you feel it. It's been lined with uh, this, this intricate design. And you know what animal it is all the way up the handrails? You know what that is? It's a serpent. In the Bible, what's the serpent? Would you say the deceiver? There's a country, and as I'm here in country, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, there is so many people in Thailand who have been deceived to think this is it. And you'll watch them. They go to the temples. They know they've done something wrong. They just don't know how to get rid of it. So they take a lily in their hands and they do laps around the temple because someone has told them this is how you get rid of sin. You see, when somebody's duped, it matters. I read this stat, 1.6 billion people do not know Jesus. And yet, when I talk to people here in town, in this church and other churches about Jesus and what's their story, you know what it is a lot of times? I didn't grow up in that home, but a friend invited me to church. There's two characters in this story. You have Joseph of Arimathea and Mary. And if you look, the Marys, when they see it, they're terrified and they don't move. They, don't, they, they flee out of there and they don't tell anybody. But Mark says Joseph of Arimathea went boldly. Hang on to that. He went boldly. Why? Why did he use that term? Here's why. He was a prominent member of the Jewish council. The council that had condemned Jesus to death, he was a member of. He was wealthy. He had to go then to Pilate. And by just him going and asking for the body, it could have been seen by some that he would be associating himself with Jesus. And look what he lays on the line. There's my finances on the line for you, God. There's my social standing in the synagogue for you, God. This is my reputation for you, God. Even they could say I'm a traitor to Rome. They could kill me. It's my life to you, God. He went boldly. And it makes me wonder, which one of these am I? Am I the bold to simply even invite somebody or am I the fearful who says nothing? And I would say if you're in these shoes, then maybe what you need to start doing is asking more questions. But my hope and prayer is that you'd end up here. 
Think small, but bold. How can I be bold for you today, God? Let me pray. God, thank you so much for Mark, for what he wrote, what he did, what he said, but most importantly, thanks for Jesus and the examples you gave, Lord. My prayer is, is really, it's for them and for me both, that you would answer my questions, Lord, as best you can. And with that information, help me be bold to share that with other people because a world is lost and desperately needs you. Help us be people who are bold. It's in your son's name. Amen. I want to take a moment to come here. We said on the crucifixion, blood and water flowed. And because of his wounds, we read that in scripture, we are healed. If it's true, if it's true, then this becomes a proclamation to those around us that this is what we believe. So if you would, let's take a few moments and on your own, take the bread and then together let's take the cup, shall we? Take some time. take the cup, I want you to think of what the death of Christ has done. You got to explain the empty tomb, but it changed the week for those Jewish people. They start it now on Sunday. Their Sabbath day is now Sunday. It changed Jewish customs for them. Jewish people changing old traditions because of what happened with Jesus. Their lives were drastically changed. So as we take this, may we accept the promise of God and, and take, accept his life, but on the same turn, offer ours in return. Let's take the cup together. Now, if you would, let's stand and let's sing of the hope we have. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.